We are working through a series in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to skip a little bit this week and uh, jump to chapter 2, and here we want to look at Ephesians 2, and Ephesians is a a fantastic book. I, I just love preaching from the book of Ephesians, and I hope that as we uh, look at this this morning, that this will become just, uh, that will grip your soul and that you will enjoy it as much as I have, uh, just to see what God is doing in our lives and how he has transformed us. We're just so, uh, I'm, I'm so excited about that kind of a thing. So we want to answer three questions this morning. First of all, what were we? What were we? The second question we want to answer is, where are we? And the third question is, what are we? Okay, what were we? Where are we? And what are we? Three different aspects from this passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So let's look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. We'll begin with that, and uh, that's going to answer the question, where were we? As for you, you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, God's wrath. So let's go back to the beginning of time now. God placed man in a beautiful place, but God put some restrictions around their eating activities. There was one tree in the middle of the garden that he created, that beautiful paradise that Adam was not supposed to eat from. As recorded in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 and following, it says there, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's where we were. So as we follow this story of Adam and Eve, we see that Eve gave in to temptation and to sin and, and enticed her husband to disobey God as well. This is not, is this not true to life? Often when others around us are, are in sin, they, they want to entice us. They want us to come and, and join in their, their debauchery, in, in the things that they're doing which are, are not according to God's standards. And then Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. 
as they knew their disobedience, and yet they tried to act innocent. They tried to act innocent by blaming other people or other things. In this case, it was a serpent. Um, Eve blamed the serpent. And then Adam blamed Eve. So it's the blame game. Does that happen today? Sure it does. A lot of us say, well, he made me do it. I wouldn't have hit him if he hadn't called me names. No, isn't that the way kids act today? It's the blame game. It's still going on, just like in the garden. People are really no different. And because Adam sinned today, we too are under the curse of sin, and we're destined to die. But God was concerned about man's sin. And there was another tree in that garden. It was a tree which apparently Adam and Eve had not yet seen the need to eat from. It was a tree of life. And God determined that if Adam and Eve, uh, he determined that Adam and Eve should not eat from that tree. He said, and the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God banished him, Adam and Eve, from the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Before God sent them out of that garden, however, he took away their nakedness. One of the things that the evil brought was a sense of guilt and shame. And so God killed an animal and clothed them. This is the first recorded death that we have in the scriptures. The concept of sins being covered by death of another was implemented by God at the very beginning of man's history. Jesus' death on the cross was that final sacrifice. God wants to protect us, as we see from actually banishing Adam and Eve from that garden, away from that tree that he had created. I don't know if that tree's still there, maybe like the one in Ukraine, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, that would be probably 10,000 years old. But anyway, so it, it, we don't have it anymore. It's not there. God allowed it to be removed from the world, maybe at the time of the, uh, the flood even. We don't know. But God wants to protect us. So we've heard about all these wildfires that, are going on and in different places in, in British Columbia and uh, in the States as well. There was a wildfire in the Yellowstone National Park and the forest ranger began to uh, trek up the mountain to look at the damage. And uh, one of the rangers found a, a bird that was literally petrified in the ashes. 
It was perched statuesquely on the ground at the base of a tree. As someone sickened by the, somewhat sickened by the eerie sight, he, he knocked the bird over with a stick. And when he gently struck it, three tiny chicks scurried out from under the mum's dead wings, uh, dead mother's wings. That loving mother was aware of the impending disaster, and so she had taken her little ones down to the base of the tree and gathered them under her wings, instinctively knowing that if they had remained in the nest, uh, the toxic fire that was coming across would have uh, destroyed them all. So she remained over top of them. She could have flown away to safety and left them there to die, but instead she chose to cover them. And in the blaze that came along, it scorched her small body, and, but she remained covering her chicks. She'd be willing to die to cover those under her wings so they could live. Psalm 91 verse 4 tells us, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. So that's the kind of God we have, being loved this much by God who wants to protect us and cover us and keep us from evil and from destruction should make some kind of difference in our life. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. And Jesus is saying this, you are my friends if you do what I command. Again, in Romans 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrated his love in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So where are we now? Where are you personally now? Let's look at verses 4 to 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So where are you now? God showed us mercy. Now mercy is not giving us what we deserve. What do we deserve? 
We deserve death, not life. Really, we don't deserve God's love. We were disobedient. We haven't followed his ways always. And so we really don't deserve the love that God has shown to us as a deserving person. But because we are his creation in Christ Jesus, he has loved us with an everlasting love. Wow, isn't that great? But what does he do for us? Not only does he forgive us, he shows his rich mercy. Instead of being dead in our sins, God makes us alive in Christ Jesus. This is so exciting and and it's so important for us as believers. Instead of fear, God gives us hope. Instead of darkness, we live in the light. Instead of going to hell, we are raised up with Christ and we are, what? Seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where are you this morning? Are you in the depths? Or are you in the heavenlies? Wow. Isn't God's love wonderful? 1 John 5 verse 3 says, this is This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Now, Jesus summarized his commands in in Matthew 22, verses uh, 37 and 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang in these two commands. So how much do we love God? Do we know what he wants us to do? Obeying his commands shouldn't be something burdensome. It should give us freedom. It should give us joy. It should give us peace and a, and a full life. And if we're not experiencing that wonderful life, it's not because God has not told us how to live. It's because we are not following what God has already told us. God wants us to be alive in Christ Jesus, not dead in our sins. So it's important for us confess our sins, to repent and become alive in Christ. So the last question, what are we? Well, this passage, verse 8 and following to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So first of all, according to this passage, what are we? We're saved. But what are we saved from? Or what are we saved for? First of all, we are saved from that life of sin. We are saved from the punishment for that sin in a life of eternal death. And we are saved to enjoy the presence of Christ. Isn't that great? We are saved and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are totally forgiven by God for all the sins which we have ever committed if we've asked Jesus to become our substitute. And we are saved from hell and from the fear of death. And we can know that we have eternal life in Jesus. What a glorious thought and hope. But what are we saved for? We are saved, according to verse 10 here, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, he has just said that we are saved by grace. Now, grace is receiving what we don't deserve. If mercy is not getting what we deserve, not getting what we deserve, grace is receiving what we don't deserve. So we don't deserve God's love in ourselves. There's no good thing in us, the Isaiah says. And so we need to recognize that God loves us in spite of what we've done, in spite of the kind of things that we have said, the kind of things we've done. God still loves us, and he will forgive us. And as a result, he has some things that we would, he wants us to be doing. I think he wants us to be showing love and care just the same way that he loves and cares for us. We are to share that love and care for other people. And so <clears throat> he has wanted us to have freedom in Jesus. Freedom to be able to share the good news about what, how Christ has come into our life, how he's given us hope, how he's given us joy. And he wants us to communicate that to other people so that they can experience the same joy and hope and love that we have. You are a special creation of God. Realize how important you are to God, how much he really loves you. And then, because of that love for you, out of gratitude from our own hearts, 
Let's serve him. The almighty God, the God of creation, the one who loves us with an everlasting love. And we will have joy and peace inside when we know that others are experiencing that same freedom that we have. Realize that that God came for us. He sent Jesus for us. And as a result, we can be one with him. We can share in that life that he's given to us. And this morning, we want to do that here in remembering what Jesus did for us, how he died for us, how he gave his life for us, and how he's given us freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from death, and given us that eternal life. And he said that there's going to be a time coming when we're going to share that supper with him in glory, that feast that he's preparing for us, all of those who are part of his family. What an exciting time that would be. Wouldn't it be great? We want to think about that this morning. And as we go to a a time of communion now, we just pray that uh, if you've followed the Lord and if you are in right relationship with him, you can participate with us. Realize that he wants you to be a part of his family. And we're going to bow in prayer in a moment here. And uh, we'll take some time uh, just to make sure that your heart is ready to receive the elements here. Just let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 and following. For what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever drinks or eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who drinks or eats and drinks without recognizing the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we want to just take time to examine our own lives. Are we truly forgiven? Have we brought everything to Christ? Has he died for all your sins? Or are there some things that you just still hang on to? 
Give them up. Give them over to Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you died for us. You gave your life for us. You were the final sacrifice. And when we acknowledge that, you, you take away every, every evil sin that we have committed. And we can be free. We can have a pure heart, a clean heart. We can be sitting in the heavenlies with you. We think of you at the throne and being able to sit beside you, metaphorically maybe, but sitting there with you. Help us to see your glory. And as a result of seeing that glory and purity, we pray that our hearts will be, will be cleansed and, and purified. That as we participate together as a body of believers, there'll be that oneness of spirit and, and purity of heart as we offer up our sacrifices of praise. We're just so grateful for everything that you've done for us. What a joy it is to be able to participate in, in a meal together, thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Jesus, you gave your body on the cross for us. We should be hanging up there, but, but you did that for us. You shed your blood for us, that, that life you gave up for us. And as we remember that this morning, I just pray that our hearts will be overwhelmed with your love, filled with that spirit that you give to us. A spirit of joy and peace will come over us and, and we can experience your presence in our own personal lives in a, in a deeper and more meaningful way as we participate together this morning.